Pada acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the lands on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. Hello and welcome listeners. Welcome to the Pada podcast. Today's guest is contemporary circus director, producer and performer Natanal Fatnana. Um, we had Natanal join us this year for the Apada Award presentations and uh, we're really excited to get down and have a chat with him in person or over Zoom um, so that we can share his creative pathway with our students and teachers all listening today. Uh, drawing inspiration from his Samoan roots, Natano has carved a unique path and, and it's achieved national and international recognition through his work as a multifaceted artist for a string of renowned companies. He's helping to bring to life uh, Chasing Smoke, Australia's first Indigenous circus show. Natano is also a producer for Mughal and Performing Arts, who produce and support First Nations artists. In Cass's Creations, alongside co-founders Jesse Scott and Lachlan McCauley, this is where Natano gets to represent a collective of humanity of cultures, uh, genders and identities through contemporary artistry. But he does all this and still takes the time where possible to connect with students and communities like ours here at Apata, but also remote communities across Australia and the world. And we are so delighted to speak with him and welcome him to the Apata podcast. So enjoy this chat with Natano Fatnana. been said or you've said in the past that you like to create pieces with real stories with a human touch and it seems that everything you do incorporates uh, the lived experiences of the people and performers that you work with and so I guess that's what we're going to talk about today is your lived experiences and find out a little bit about who you are um, the past present and future of Natano Fatnana so we'll start by welcome Natano um, oh, and please you. tell us where you were born and raised, and let's let's hear a little bit about you. Uh, thank you, Orfa. I love uh, Jennifer. Thank you for that amazing intro. Um, look, I, I hail my people hail from the islands of Samoa. So my father is from Paloni, the village in Savai, and my mother is from Fangamalo, also from Savai. Uh, but we were raised and born and raised in in Aotearoa. So I was born in, in Wellington, was lower actually, and grew up a little bit in Porirua, and then moved up to Auckland with the family and lived in Avondale and Mangare for a little bit longer and before migrating to Australia. And this was in the 80s. And we moved to a little town called Ipswich outside Brisbane, uh, of which there um, I was raised and most of my schooling and uh, my childhood was, was there. Uh, you know, proudly Samoan, proudly from New Zealand, um, in the sense that that was always reflected in our in our music, in our home, in our arts, and all our dances. We maintained our culture through all our ceremonial practices and dances whenever we could. Yeah. So we were really quite lucky to have parents that were uh, excited about continuation of story and our culture, but also assimilating and working with our new found land, mm. which was really important to to acknowledge. Uh, you know, this is early on too. My, I do recall my father and my mother always reminding us that we were on other people's land and to and to really be mindful of that yeah. because, you know, it will be this 
tables would be turned or changed if we were those people and in our own respective lands. So, yeah, we've always been brought up to be respectful of original culture, old culture, and the lands that we tread. And so I went to Silkstone State School, um, and then uh, Bremer State High School, where I was blessed to have not worked close or schooled closely with these particular teachers, um, but they were in the periphery. I, my subjects were one that I selected where I was more sporty yeah. and and less into the arts back then. However, Mrs. Ryan, Mrs. Bull, and Mrs. Kelly, these teachers were always just in the background tapping me on the shoulder, going, hey, you should really consider you know, performing or arts and stuff like that. So that always resonated with me, so much so that, um, in my early 20s, I disappeared off the scene. I went down to, on my little own, own journey down to Sydney where I just went on a, a you know, a bit of an exploration of self-discovery that didn't really include arts nor culture. I went off and went down a different tangent. But I circled back 10 years later, the age of 30, I, I discovered art again where um, I, I was given a brochure to try out circus. And I did this as a as an adult. I was 29 at the time, and I went to do an adult circus class. And it was there that I just discovered this newfound joy and love and attraction to the arts, but also the arts through physicality. Mm. Uh, I loved the I loved being really physical. I loved being sporty. I didn't like team sports. I was point blank not not into it. It's too competitive, <laughs> and yeah. it's not me. Um, whereas this was a sport, I guess, or the sort where I was like, wow, I can merge the, merge my creativity with physicality. Yeah. And then more excitedly, as I tucked away at that, for, as, just as a hobby, I realised, wow, this could also be a newfound tool of expressing my culture and my people mm. instead, of, instead of dance or music or singing or what, what we're used to seeing now people um, yeah. share our stories. I did it through circus. Well, I set out to do that through circus. And um, and I'm hugely grateful that since that time, I always at the forefront of my mind was talking about representing our culture, our people through whatever medium, whether it was a contemporary dance or my aerials in the air or basing and throwing people around. I was still doing that back of my mind, this is <laughs> representing our people. Yeah. Amazing. Um, mm. that, yeah, and so that was 15 years ago. I um, started circus and now I'm 45 and I'm still <laughs> still chucking people around. That that I guess in circus too, um, we've spoken to other circus people uh, like Dr. Christy Seymour, who I think you might know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where discovering circus... You might not take that um, that path. I guess Nika wasn't there um, all those years ago, only fifteen years ago. But it might have just been in the the beginning sort of phases where circus performers really discover their own way of learning, and they find those trainers and they find those programs mm. that are going to give them what they need to get that skill and acquire that skill and um, learn that and perfect it, and then find the next thing what do I need to learn now like circus performers yeah. seem to be these independent learners who travel their own path and carve their own way and like you said it might be a rocky road but you get there yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um and coincidentally and funnily enough Christy Seymour was one of the train one that she had a trip circus back then and she gave me my first job as a circus trainer um which in that in that um, wonderful school. I, I forged my craft as a an independent artist. But yeah, I'm I'm quite proud by the fact that I'm what I call backer trained. Yeah. So I don't belong to an institute. I didn't train with an institution or, or learn from a Nike or a Flying Fruit Play Circus. And I guess that wasn't would have been available to me largely because I was thirty at the time. Yeah. So um, very unconventional in terms of learning. Uh, what it is to be an acrobat at that time but it really served me it served me because uh look 
back then, there wasn't many of us people that even looked like us. So not only Pacifica people, but anyone that was brown, mm. there wasn't many people, wasn't if at all anyone on stages that looked like us. And and so it was an with that created a fire in my belly to work hard and acknowledge that their pathways weren't designed or built for people like us. So don't complain about it. Create new pathways. Make a new road. Um, the the major companies weren't interested in in employing. Uh, someone that looked like us because we don't have this finesse or fine lines or balletic movement that is uh, delivered by amazing acrobats of that sort. But those who move like us and that channel ancient sort of drive or, or dance or very, you know, we're in the ground when we move, when we move and, uh, you know, proudly. So at that time, there wasn't really a want for that kind of aesthetic. Mm. But but we found the right people that we could collaborate with who are like minded and go hey let's let's explore and celebrate our 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 respective cultures and use it in the platform and back then that was done underground we would hire out little warehouses in Brisbane just to put on performances that celebrate and explore these yeah. the, the people that we are through our various um, styles of performance and. Thankfully, it generated a market, essentially created a new market. Yeah. Um, one of them, so Polytoxic was when I first company, or which was a, um, an ensemble member. And Polytoxic was a beautiful celebration of Australiana and Pacifica. And we just, we just explored that collision. You know, we had whipcrackers and a ballet dancer, and, and then we had us, you know, merging sasas or, you know, Salmon dance with some of this Australiana. But it was very experimental and found its place. It was quite a celebrated movement, Polytoxic, of which I'm hugely proud that we could have been part of that. And back then, the world wasn't ready for it, but we were. Yeah. And, and excitedly, out of this beautiful platform called Polytoxic, this, this co company which still goes to this day, um, Briefs was born, which was my first company that I created with my brother and brother-in-law, which was uh, a crazy, exciting uh, cabaret show that explores masculinity in all its forms. And again, culture was woven into that. And yep. that was a vessel to share our Pacifica um, cultures around the world. You know, this was an underground movement that we put on in a warehouse, in a bookstore in West End, Brisbane, um, which was like slapped together with sellotape and hope. And... <laughs> From there, it just generated this this interest from around the ways. Everyone was like, "Hey, what's this? What's this cabaret show? Six young men throwing themselves around, talking about culture and masculinity, and doing mad skills in the air and on the ground." And next minute, we're flying around the world for, and of which still today, I know I'm no longer with Briefs. My brother and brother-in-law manage that company, of which I still love and support. Yeah, um, but they're currently in Sweden doing a, a, a big tour there and yeah. and it's just it's in it's a phenomenon now Breeze yeah. is gangbusters hey and that's <laughs> that's a group of us from Grafton and Ipswich Queensland like it can be done it, it can yeah, be absolutely done. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually read about how you started uh well that it was Fez and your brother-in-law that had a lot to do with your introduction to circus. And they said mm. something about you having the physique of an acrobat and the kookiness of a clown. You just <laughs> knew, knew that circus was for you. Yeah, well, that's it. And, yeah, my brother-in-law, Mark Windmill, he was quite pivotal. Well, both of them were. But Mark in particular, as the acrobat, was always just a comment about me having this physicality. I was quite agile. I had no problem throwing myself around, even in my, you know, late 20s. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try. I had no fear. And also, yeah, the kookiness, I guess they used to, like, with respect, jokingly call me Black Charlie Chaplin because I would, you know, I had no problem being goofy and and yeah. um, and just, you know, you know, how we are as Polynesians. We just like to have a laugh. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it was he was quite instrumental in really encouraging me to do that. And then when I decided to go, oh, you know what, I want to I wanna pursue this as a, as a thing, as a as an acrobat, what is it to be a circus artist? 
they were quite instrumental in finding me that job with Christy Seymour at Flipside Circus and then forging um, a place in Polytoxic. And then we created briefs together. And then even after that, when I was uh, in the middle of briefs, you know, in the first four years, Bruce was charging along, really making leeways into the international market. I felt this need to also pursue other avenues as an artist. The cabaret world and the variety world mm -hmm. is fun and I love it. Um, but there's also another, I was just hungry to uh, share, continue sharing our culture, our stories, but in other ways, yeah. other formats. And so contemporary was the other method that I, I started researching, which was not too far to access, to be honest, because Brisbane has one of the most amazing companies in terms of contemporary performance around the world called Circa. And they were quite, um, out of Circa, I made some really great friends and we would just hang out. And from there we were like, hey, let's make our own company. And that was Cassis. Um, back then it was Cassis Circus. And we made this show called Knee Deep, and we were so povo. We had no money, but we had, uh, you know, we had passion and drive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with our little op shop costumes, which was just the basic, we looked like waiters, actually. We just had white shirts and black shorts or black pants. And, um, and eggs, we were like, hey, let's make a show with eggs because yeah. – um, now, my colleague and uh, a co-director of Cassis, uh, Jesse Scott, recalls a, an image on his fridge growing up where his mum and dad, his dad was standing on two dozen eggs and his mum was on his shoulders. And so with that image, that photo in his head, he was like, oh, let's, let's play with that. And what and we quickly just... Just, just yeah. to confirm the eggs aren't broken here. They're full, just half in their carton. Like They're in the carton. And yeah, just normal legs. Yeah. She's on his shoulders and no eggs yeah. broken. Yep. No eggs broken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, different story when we were experimenting making the show. We broke a few eggs. <laughs> we broke a few eggs. But, um, yeah, we made a show with eggs and we quickly discovered that acrobatics has this strange uh, parallel with eggs in the terms of human bodies, sorry. Mm. So with, with human bodies, we can balance and throw each other around a certain way as you do with eggs. So there was a strength and fragility yep. with both. And we played with those parallels. And that small show, Knee Deep, where we played with the strength and fragility, and um, that that was what rocketed my my career, I guess. It, it was quickly discovered in a, in a Adelaide Fringe by a producer from the UK who immediately was taken by it. And took the show. He was he was extremely emotionally moved by the show, which was really interesting because that was the kind of um, uh, response that we we would have from the day, which at the time we were making a show that was just dear to us. Yeah. Uh, and we found then quickly that there was it had a response and a movement and created this emotional responses so much so that people were hungry for it and and we took the show. Yeah. From there on, that was 2012, and from there on, we were we, we travelled the world with our little show of eggs and our op shop costumes. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to mention that also Knee Deep, which was kind of a, a game changer in many ways, both both for myself and in the Australian industry. That I I proudly and unapologetically wove my culture into contemporary circus. Yeah. Uh, back then, like I said, there wasn't much of that. It was all very um, it was all very white, as in contemporary was from Europe, so it was all very much influenced that way. Yeah. But I put in there, you know, I think what a fatsopati, which is salmon flat dance, um, and wove it into an acrobatic scene. So it was like tumbling, flipping, throwing people around, but also slapping my body in times of rhythms. Um, and so back then it was kind of, well, for me, it was a no-brainer. Yep. But also, I remember challenging the norms. But that's was what was a good thing because people there was an eye, there was an awareness. Now people were like, oh well, you can actually culture isn't something that has to be so separated from contemporary. It can be all in one. And I guess from there on, in the deep was 
again, a, an affirmation that storytelling can be told whatever way we want. Yeah, you and know? sharing your culture whatever mm. way you want because I think you've said in the past too that um, circuses or physical theatre isn't a way that is normally shared culture, Simon culture or Pacifica culture isn't normally shared in that way, in that format. So this was a new thing and a new way for people to experience. And I think you also said like when you went to French Polynesia and performing it it there in front of an audience uh, full of French Polynesians was uh, like one of the most moving uh, experiences you've ever had. Yeah, yeah, that was was quite breathtaking and really emotional for me in the sense that they're our people, but also um, their culture has been disrupted a language has been disrupted by you know, you know, the, the the French French government, the French mm. um, how can I say this? French colonialism. Yes. Yeah. And and so where our people as Samoans have maintained our culture and songs and dance, theirs hasn't. But they're they're us, you know, they're our yeah. people. And yeah, and I was in a little island called Rayatea, which was, you know, that even has, has a, a level of complexity because that's one of our ancient islands that we have many stories about how sacred that place is, where they still have mud eyes, the remnants of the mud eyes and, and old ways, which aren't necessarily discovered or um, exist in other parts of Pacific Islands. But anyway, here I was in, in this makeshift tent on the on the beach in the Rayatea with the sea of brown people and and it was just magic, you know, that here was you know, it's another someone, another Pacifica man on stage doing old dance, slapping myself and throwing people around, catching it. But there was this you know, there was this beautiful response that, you know, you could see the people going, Ah, oh, that's that's what we can do too, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, it's not, it's not just it's not just about sharing your culture with people who've never seen it before. It's also sharing it with the people it belongs to, which is mm. a really important thing to do. And I guess that's what Chasing Smoke was about mm. and creating that first Australian contemporary circus show with Indigenous mm. people and Indigenous yeah. performers and sharing their stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was the director of that show, but I, I would say that's, just it's not the most I, I'm not fond of that term what I was was a facilitator of their stories yeah. you know I'm I'm a black fella from another land and <laughs> they um and I was they were gracious enough and kind enough to allow me to assist in that and uh, there's a delicacy around telling other people's cultural stories mm. and I was allowed that which was great um and the Chessie Smoke had those six voices, six performers, all of which had their unique stories, which was, you know, it was it was challenging and and uplifting and traumatic and inspiring, all of that one. Um, and you know, unbeknownst to us, there, there was a lot of firsts when we were doing that, making Chasing Smoke. And so there were things that we, you know, the beauty of hindsight is the things I would change. But the main thing that I would say that we wouldn't change is giving it a go. You know, we far too often is that there are obstacles or barriers for people like us, especially for people, First Nations of this land, there's been barrier after barrier. And so I, I don't apologize in the fact that I, as an artist, am also a punk. You know, I don't have a problem kicking down walls and especially kicking down walls for um, people who are more marginalised than myself. Mm. You know, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And a big part of what you do also is um, you mentioned that you like to take time out and go out into communities and be a trainer mm. again and, like, step away from that facilitator role and be a mm. part of the community. And, and you've just come out from Will Carnia and with, mm. with the Fruit Fly Circus and Dylan Singh yep. and uh, mm. Louise Moriarty from Outback Theatre yep. for Young People. Yeah. Um, that's a big part of what you do too is just going training in those communities that um, might need a bit of a lift and might need a bit of... Uh, mm. something different. How, how does that all go for yeah. you and how does that work? Ah, it's all wonderful. It's, it's actually getting, it's, it's, it takes a bit of time for me to make sure that I allow the time to do that. That's 
it's important for me to work with communities. Uh, there's, there's complexity. Uh, you know, my, my year is, is a combination of majority producing, creative producing, directing shows. Um, and with that comes these amazing experiences. Uh, yeah, of which is great for the next project. But for me, it's important to share those experiences and take some time out just to, just to sit with mob and yeah. go out to places like Wakani or Bree Warrener, which I have a connection to. It's been a while, but Karanda up in Cairns, um, where Black Clip mob are. Yeah. And it's here that we go in there with the premise of teaching circus because that's the background that I have in terms of art artistry. But it's more for me about, again, going back to how whatever genre or medium it is, like circus in this context, it's about using that to continue telling your story, mm. continue telling uh, continuation of your culture, of, of all the songs you have, if you, if you think you can merge those two. Um, you know, the next time maybe circus wouldn't be appropriate, but I do have some background in dance or storytelling of other sorts. So I'll just use those skill sets as a, as a means of continuing telling stories. And sometimes, you know what, you might push a small pebble along and that's all, that's the outcome uh, for those, that week or two that you are in those places. But that's better than not, you know. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's a really good tip for teachers, like listening to that. Like um, you want to know who your students are. You want them to be able to share their stories. So getting mm. to know them and helping them tell their stories in a way that's comfortable and safe uh, mm. for them is a really great thing to do and you seem to be able to do that with quite uh, like skill and reverence to who those people are. Yeah, well, I'd like to, I'd like to think so, but also as we, we were speaking earlier today, it's like if I were to go to a community and there is all the signs pointing to it's not right, what yeah. you're here to do isn't correct and nor conducive to what that community needs, be okay with leaving. And, and having that. Um, I went out there, like you said, with Flying Fruit Fly Circus and Outback Arts to teach circus workshops and what I found myself doing with Dylan Singh because um, he's a Wiradjuri man with family connections to Wilkenya, mm -hmm. is that we sat mostly with uncles and aunties just having yarns yeah. to discover what it is, to uh, uh, learn what it is that the community wants in terms of artistry. Um, and also on top of that is like being people of culture, you know, me, Pacifica, Dylan, Wiradjuri. It's just out of cultural courtesy to get to know who your, the locals are. And, and it's just sitting. A lot of the time it's just sitting. And, and throughout of that, it's a very non-linear, non-European way of attaining information. But we're okay with that because you just, you just got to listen and, and feel out what it is people want. Um, we're really grateful, though, that with, especially with Dylan's connection with the family, um, which he discovered there, there was there was a there's an already an end to come back. You know, when we come back, it's like okay, we've talked talked enough with people to go. Oh yeah, you want you want music, dance, and a bit of circus. That's let's let's bring that, and also bringing in not specifically making it just for kids, which is great. Kids deserve a bit of an outlet and you know joy and but also intergenerational teachings and workings. So, you know, some coming back and facilitating workshops or play with the elders as well as the young ones. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was, everywhere's that was, different. That was something that was um, quite interesting too at the presentation for Leilani Collins because in speaking with her family, you realised that you were related to her in some way as well. Like, yeah. It's just the culture of things. Um, you know, I'm a Poly Polynesian myself. I'm Maori. I was uh, just at a tangi this weekend, and uh, people there um, who are facilitating it find out they're related to most of the people <laughs> in there, and it's just the way things go. And that that's what's beautiful about our culture is that mm. you find these roots. Uh, and the roots continually spread out and connect you to all these people. And um, related or not, you you seem to be doing the same thing. You're spreading these roots out across the world, and it's something that's really important with your work. Um, uh, thank that's, you. And, you've, and now we're going to Mugulin 
performing mm. arts, um, yeah. your producer for them. And mm. coming up for the 50th Sydney Opera House celebrations, Moogalin will be a part of that 50-year um, celebration performance and, and mm. program. Can you tell us about what you do with Moogalin and, yeah. and experience there? Yeah, well, I'm I'm having uh, I'm right now actually at the Mugglin office, which is like a blue moon. I I'm you know the pandemic has meant everyone works from home. Um, yeah. I'm now in Sydney, actually sitting with Ali Murphy Oates and Stephen Barker, who are the, my um, managing director and producers, and it's actually really great to be in the space together. Mm-hmm. But what we do here is make First Nations work, predominantly New South Wales based um, uh, uh, nations. And historically, Mughalin has been one who's been really quite instrumental in being like sector development. So they would facilitate other artists to create works that on First Nations basis and, and shepherd that along using their resources. And now, more recently, becoming more and more a production house where they would create their own shows. Yes. Um, and with that, uh, a beautiful intersection happened where there was time created on my plate due to the pandemic and also me being less a performer and more a director and producer with Cactus. So there was this period of time through my week where I was like, okay, I'm available. I saw a notification um, because I'm old school friends with Lily Shearer, who's one of the artistic directors, and I applied for a job and I got this job producing them based on my touring experience. So being an independent artist actually worked in my favour because, one, as an artist, you have to learn how to be your own director, your own producer, and in many ways, your own production manager. And with that skill set, I was able, I am able to serve the new needs of Mughlin where I help create touring. So all the shows they're making now, we make together, but I, I then put them on the road. Yep. And so what the show you're talking about, it's just a number of shows on Morgan's table at the moment, which is really exciting. But the show you're referring to is called The Visitors, and that's part of um, an exciting year for the City Opera House. Uh, it's its 50th year anniversary, and The Visitors has, is, which is a co-commissioned work between Sydney Theatre Company and Mugglin, is going to be part of that program. And it's really exciting on multiple levels. You know, this is the first First Nations show yes in partnership with STC but it's you know it's really about all the creative leads are First Nations or all the all as much of the crew or all the cast are First Nations costume designer lighting design all of them First Nations yeah and um and so it's it's really exciting to to see all that kind of that kind of methodology happening and being accepted in this day and age it's it's really exciting to to be part of that and like i said earlier you know i'm i'm a i'm a black fella from another rock much smaller rock than samoa in the pacific (laughs) but i'm i'm welcomed into this space to help be part of that family of um of creators um wesley enoch who's kondamulka stradbroke island he's the director of the visitors uh the visitors was written is written by a Murari woman, her name's Jane Harrison, which is just an exciting team. And, you know, pioneering and, and formidable. This, this, it's not, these are strong uh, anchor points of people in the, in the arts community that are making this work. So, and it, the cast is yet to be fleshed out, but it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Um, mm. You're also senior producer for Yurimboy Festival last year, and you're a big mm. part of um, festivals like Brisbane Festival as well. What is your experience in the festival world? Because that's a lot, <laughs> lot different to you know getting on the Sydney Opera House stage. That's a lot more freer, a lot more expressive, yeah. a bit more fun. Um, but how do you how do you find that whole festival experience? Tell us about that as well. Ah, uh, the festival experience is. Uh, well, it, it, there's two parts to that uh, to the responding to that question. Yeah. Um, historically, most of my part playing in the, in the festival is pre- creating works that would be featured in a festival. And then at some point, I don't even know when that happened, I started merging to where I was a facilitator or a um, I worked in festivals as a producer to help 
create the body of works in the festivals. So you're referring to Yurumboy, which was, uh, again, another First Nations-focused festival based in Melbourne. And my job was to curate sections of the programming, i.e. the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony, and then scatterings of other programming throughout that season. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, certainly a shift in the way you create. As a creative person, you you make the shows and you put them in, the, in that work and that's essentially complete. And then there's, as a, a producer, there's a lot of other things you have to consider like the logistics and placement of certain works yeah. um, and how they're going to be managed seamlessly yeah, <laughs> and um, telling a story, I suppose, at the same time. And there's a theme to that festival. What is that theme related to that production? And Precisely, yeah. 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 Um, and that was a wonderful experience in the sense that I, you know, again, surrounded by other people of culture that yeah. were, were the leads in that and uh, making of that, of that festival. And from that was uh, also a wonderful um, progression to other festivals and uh, and this job now that I have at Mugler. Mm. Um, so uh, I also know that very soon you're going to be heading overseas. And um, this is for the Churchill Fellowship uh, that you were a recipient of in 2020. And because of, of course, uh, COVID and uh, lockdowns and things, this is your time. You finally get to fly, yeah. um, crossing fingers. Tell us about what's going to be happening with your Churchill Fellowship research and what you're going to be doing. Yeah. So my Churchill Fellowship investigation uh, is about other First Nations or First Peoples directors or choreographers or leaders in arts practice around the world and, excuse me, and how they weave in their culture into modern theatre practice. Mm. You know, that's uh, it's quite a challenging one to be honest, because there isn't many of us around the world, uh, and if they are, they they are hard to find. Mm. I was lucky enough to to connect with five individuals that are willing to share some of their cultural practices, of which they bring into their theatre practice. Yeah, and those countries are your homeland and my birth. Mm. Land Aotearoa. I'm working with Jack Gray at um, Atamira Dance, and then I'm working with Margot up in in Canada and Vancouver, who runs the uh, Talking Sticks. It's a First Nations Indigenous Festival there. Yeah. Um, my lady Vicky Amadume, who's of Ghana descent, who runs a circus company in London, Cambodia, Fare Circus. And also in Rotuma, which I'm really excited about, Little Island of Fiji, um, which um, I'm going to work with uh, a, a couple of directors there about their art, like one of the old mythological and origin stories of Rotuma. So I'm pretty, wow. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, it's one of the few projects I'm doing that I'm actually okay about the um, the reporting. <laughs> <laughs> really excited to write about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds amazing and what an experience. Um, and what is it like to be recognised, I guess, for the Sydney Meyer Fellowship, for your work um, mm. by these institutions that are, have been around for quite a while? Like, is that, well, how does that feel? Mm. Look, it's, it's quite a layered. Um, I... I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna water this down for your listeners because the reality is, it's a it's hard work for people like us. It's been a it's been really hard work, and those accolades came at a time where I was pretty much ready to quit. Now, I'm not saying this is as a deterrent. I was ready to quit because the amount of work you, one has to do to survive as an artist in general is hard. The amount of work one has to do in the cultural space as an artist is nuts. It's it's really really hard, and those accolades and those awards came at a point where, like I said, I was at a I was at a turning point when I wasn't excited about how poor I was, how 
um, the challenges that we've been working on to change after the last that, but at that point, the last 12 years hadn't shifted that much. Yeah. But the big but is with those achievements that I have now, Australia, if not the world, is listening to my voice in many ways. I'm, I'm able to not change of my own accord, but I, I'm at least able to talk to people like yourself, other directors, other people, like-minded people who um, sit in a certain tier where we can influence change. Yeah. Um, and and those, those achievements like Sydney Meyer Fellowship really did help me financially. It was a good time in my life where I was was in debt. Yeah. <laughs> um, like most performing with, artists in, in the performing arts yeah. industry, it's been a hard couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And Churchill Fellowship was one where I desperately wanted to learn from yeah. the greats around the world but could not afford it. Now I can. Yeah. And with that information and knowledge, I know that I will be able to bring that back and only help create um, other uh, we'll share those experiences with others yep. to only strengthen our, our sector and our communities. Yep. And, yeah. and your guiding ethos of, of storytelling from um, with your own perspective and the perspective of the global first, first peoples. Yeah, yeah, of which all of everyone's different. Yep. And how wonderful is that and how wonderful would that be to attain some of that information of which we can come back and keep sharing with uh, with others and other educators. You know, there's a, there's a there's definitely a, a a risk where people in certain powers just presume that there's this blanket way of operating as first peoples. You and myself, you know, relatively from the same region of the world, but we do have very different practices and cultural protocols um, and what is acceptable and not acceptable to bring into modern theatre. Um, same with Cambodia, same with Ghana, same with Vancouver, um, Indigenous people there. Every way is different. But with some of that information, at least we can have an approach about sensitivity, about how one brings in certain um, cultural voices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Natano, what, like, let's, who are the greatest teachers or mentors that have informed your your journey into physical theatre and circus, um, but also not just that, your life mentors. Mm. Let, let's get into it because I I feel like there's going to be a few. But those oh, that have few. really made a difference and set you on a path that you're headed down now. Oh, that's a good one. I actually haven't been posed with that question before, but I'll give it a go. Um, all right, right at the top of my head, the first person that came to mind was oh, so obviously my, my family and then specifically my mother, who is just, I feel like she missed her calling as a performer, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, happily the clown and happily the one who's really, you know, influential in terms of culture, talking, you know, making sure that any opportunity you get up, dance and sing about it. Mm, mm. So that's that's Mama on that front. Um, Rudy Manure is a friend of mine who's also he was part of the, uh, the circus movement in the nineteen nineties, early two thousands, and he was, I, in my opinion, one of the most underrated acrobats in the world. And he was he's based in Brisbane, and he was just a man who I continued the, his ethos, which was any information one must share, yeah. and and so. He was one instrumental person when I was a 30-year-old acrobat that he would just come in and anything he could share with me, he would. He would just, mm. yeah, he could do it. And also really positive about it. Yeah. You know, my handstands and climbs as an aerialist was just using my climbs as an aerialist. You know, he would he would say, oh, you know, you did half a climb. How awesome is that? You know, <laughs> your handstand was a little bit crooked and you fell over. But you know what? How good is that as a starting point? You know, it was yep. that sort of positivity that remained with me as, a, as an artist. And um, and so, yeah, he's Rudy Manure and his wife, Tess Beck, who were uh, like circus family and still continue to, to be that to this day. Um, who else? 
you know what? I mean, there's, there's loads historically, more recently, which is, you know, interesting that it that does jump to my, my mind often. But Taika Waititi, you know, just seeing yeah. another brother looks like us, yep. doing his thing, choosing his craft. Yeah, leaves an image that we see of ourselves into his work so often that it's, it's uh, other people don't realize it, but we're just going, oh my God, that's so Kiwi, or, you know. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and, and it, I guess that's what you and, do as well. Well, yeah, yeah, I would like, well, thanks. Oh, my gosh, it, just being on, <laughs> having his name and my name in the same sentence would be a dream. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is. And, again, that sort of a Taika represents that thing that if he can do it, we can too, you know? Yeah, it's that representation. Yeah. Yeah. Which I and, think was a beautiful thing about having you at the presentation, that, Bellbird Park has a, a quite a large uh, Pacifica community. They have a large African community and a large uh, First Nations community. And um, having you there was a really beautiful thing. And having them perform their haka for the first time, for oh. us, that was uh, really amazing. Um, just the cultural support that is in schools today for kids is um, a real delight to see. And I'm so glad to have mm. you part of that. That was really um, gracious of you. And shout out uh, to Meg Cooper from Mad Dance House for um, oh, yes. suggesting that you were the man for the job. Hey. <laughs> she did. I didn't know that. Yes, oh, she did. Meg. Yeah. So thank you, oh. Meg. <laughs> thank you, Meg. Hi, Meg. Um, from those mentors and teachers or um what are the words of advice that you would give to kids wanting to get into performance today or performance of any kind, but especially physical theatre or just who are Indigenous, First Nations, First Peoples? What is your words of advice that come from your own mentors and teachers that you still call mm. on today? Uh, look, be prepared for hard work. Um, there's going to be hard knocks for sure. But you know what? We're good. Us people of culture, we know how to dust ourselves off and get back up and be okay with that. Yeah. And the knocks are going to be regular. That's life. But just stay true to that, that drive, that passion, that motivation, which is, you know, for those, everyone's different, but for myself, it's about our culture and our people and our voices. And having that in the back of my mind, that's always always worthwhile getting back up and dusting yourself off. Yeah. Um, staying true to why you are an artist. If you if you are out there because you have this gift to share with the world, own that. Be okay with that. If it doesn't resonate with the masses, with all your friends, so what? That's awesome. That's unique. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And also sharing, you know, I built my career on sharing my knowledge of which most business models and other successful artists or business people say is the worst thing to do. Yeah. I disagree. I share my knowledge with anyone who's willing to, to listen and, and more importantly, earn it. You yeah. know, information uh, in my, my experience, in my opinion, isn't necessarily needed to be or just kept to yourself it doesn't create it's not conducive to creating a stronger sector or building your community mm. um, and and always know that there's someone worse off than you yeah. and and help them out you know help a brother or sister out if they need to uh, again that's what I've done and it's not conducive like I said to the biz successful business models for the masses but I can attest to being someone who now lives life where I feel fulfilled in most ways. You know, yeah. Financially, I am fine. Um, my career is solid. My artistry is intact. And all of that was based on me just going, finding people if they needed help, I would help them. And the universe or whoever you believe in looks after you. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you've got to be a mentor when you're not ready yourself. You'll end up being yep. a mentor or giving advice to those people. You might not be fully ready, but 
they're ready to accept what you have to share with them. Yeah. 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 And pass that on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that, it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's your cultural heritage shining through there, I think, that, that mm. sharing knowledge and stories. Um, yeah. What we, we ask this of everybody, but mm. what are your big dreams? My big dream is to be an artistic director of a major event or a festival. Uh, yeah. I know that sounds, it does sound a little bit, even as I say it, it sounds out of character, but there is something that is appealing because most of my works have been ones that are really quite intimate, small, scaled, and, you know, human. There's a, because, of, you know, there's an intentional uh, thing about it because I wanted the audience to connect to us on stage because mm. I mean, that's only achievable in a small environment. But I would like to, I would like to deliver human connection, but on a massive scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you say it, you got to put it out there, then it's in the universe mm. and it's going to come back to you. So that's that's mm. why we get people to say their big dreams. Sometimes you have to say it out loud and yeah. the universe hears you. So you never know. Never what know, way. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll just ask a couple of quick questions. Like, um, yeah. why do you love what you do? What do you love about Ooh. it? Oh, I don't. What do I love about it? Yeah. Oh, there's there's multiple things. I've been really blessed with um, being who I am now. I get to travel the world. Yeah, I get to travel the world, experience other cultures, other peoples that many people would only dream of. So I'm really grateful about that. And again, going back to that thing is, whilst I'm traveling the world, I get to share my culture and my people to them as well. Um, that's a big plus. That's a yeah, big plus for me. Oh, thank you so much, Natano Fatnana from Cassis Creations, Mughalan Performing Arts, and so many more things. Uh, you are a man of culture and connection and community, and we are so appreciative that you've been involved with APADA this year. And we can't wait for all the future gold that's coming your way, and we hope we can be a part of it as well. Oh, I so love, but thank you very much, Jennifer. And thank you for everyone listening. and. I just put it out there. If anyone needs to reach out and connect with me, uh, you're welcome to.